This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll soon be in Luke 22 also. We're starting a new series uh, in conjunction with the Easter season called Famous Last Words. And specifically, we're looking at some of the last words of Jesus in his last week. And this this uh, series will cover a couple of Wednesday nights or Good Friday service, and they're going to be a great, great opportunity for you to bring friends and introduce them to our friend, Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer and my hope, my desire, that you just love him more when you come to services here at the Church of Indian Lake. I mean, that's, that's what this is about. This is about him. It's about a relationship with him. I remember going to a youth rally that was just really, really excellent in everything. And when you're dealing with teenagers, a lot of times you don't really deal with the Greek and Hebrew tenses of the scripture. You deal with really big causes like God is good and Satan is bad and that we should be holy and we should avoid sin. And those, you know, when you're when you're trying to cover seventh graders through 12th graders, that's a good thing to do. And I did that as a youth pastor. But most of the time, you're, you're just looking at these big causes. Well, I was at a particular youth rally, and we were in this state-of-the-art auditorium. It cost millions of dollars. And the music was professional. The sound was awesome. The lights were incredible. The whole production was extremely compelling. The speaker was cool and relevant. And they did a drama where they would do mime kind of sort of mime type of thing. And in this mime, um, somebody was killed for the sake of Jesus. Martyred, we called it. So you saw this guy like, you know, stabbed accidentally and he died on the stage and everything. And they had music and lights. Are y'all getting the picture or do I need to act it out anymore? <laughs> Come on, band. And the, yeah, no. Um, so it was really dramatic. And so then the speaker, as part of the theme challenges the teenagers and challenges them and says, will you die for Jesus? Will you die for him? And there it was in this perfect atmosphere filled with positive peer pressure, great music, great speakers. The air temperature was perfect. Everything was perfect. Everybody knew the right answer. The right answer was, yes, of course, we'll die for you, Jesus. And, and I think that there was probably a lot of positive that came from that. I mean, I think a lot of times we need to confess those things. We need to set our will right. We need to say the right thing. But, you know, it felt a little disingenuine, um, not, not in an inappropriate way, but just in a sense that when you're 13, when you're 14, when you're 17, you don't really know what you're saying when you say that. And the atmosphere of the whole conference... You, it's just a whole lot different to say that with all your friends than it is to say in front of a in front of a firing squad or in front of a judge. And I thought of that story as I was looking at this passage in Matthew chapter twenty two chapter twenty, excuse me. Starting with verse eighteen, Jesus is talking and he says, We're going he's talking to the disciples, and he says, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Now, I want you to notice this, is that Jesus was always in control. 
I mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating. The cross isn't an afterthought. It's not plan B. It's not God didn't say, oops, I better redeem the world. No, the cross was planned from the beginning. Jesus was always in control. He was even in control of his death and says he, he goes on to tell them they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. So verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, which this would be James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in the kingdom. 22, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Now look at this phrase here. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? I want that to soak in for a second. Here's a question. And when they first heard it, they they were aware of what he's talking about. Because remember in verse 18 and 19, he said, we're going to go and we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified there. And also in Old Testament imagery, the cup was always associated with the wrath of God. So there was the cup of iniquity, the cup of wrath. And he asked this question, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And here's a response, kind of like a youth rally. We can. Right on, Jesus. We can. They were seeking honor. They were seeking glory. They had a meddling mom who wanted them to have a position. They wanted to please mama. They said, we can, they answered. Going on to verse 23, and Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. We know later that James was executed for Jesus. We know that John was imprisonated on the island of Patmos where he was given the revelation. You can, in 23, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. These guys, they wanted a crown without a cross. They wanted a throne without Sacrifice, they wanted glory without suffering. We're not any different. You know, we want the benefit of Jesus, but we don't always want to pay the cost. And so today, the phrase I want us to focus on, and on the back of your bulletins, a, a chance for you to take notes is, let this cup pass. Take this cup. That's the phrase I want us to focus in. And the true text we're going to find in Luke 22 Because this all set the stage of people where Jesus used this term cup to talk about suffering, to talk about challenges, to talk about those things. And so in Luke 22, here we pick up. And and now as we are focusing on Easter, we're focusing on the Holy Week that will come and will start next Sunday at Palm Sunday. In Luke 22, verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now, I want to make a note here. This is in verse 39 of Luke 22, that Jesus had a warrant for his arrest. And up until this point, he was very shrewd because his time had not come. And so there would be times when he would say to the disciples, we need to go or they would avoid certain areas. There were other times that by God's power, he was miraculously delivered. But again, Jesus is in control because... Uh, if you had a warrant out for your arrest, you might flee from Mexico or Canada or Bucksnort, Tennessee. I don't know. Uh, so you would flee 
But if you wanted to be caught or turn yourself in, you would go to your home. That's where you would go. You would go to the place where you would be discovered. So that's what Jesus did. He went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Verse 40, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Now, verse 42 truly is our text today. Truly are the famous last words we're focused on. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And then the beautiful words of prayer. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Take this cup from me. Jesus had a specific cup. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now Luke, the physician, is the only one to note this in the gospel. And he probably found great interest in this part of the story. And when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation also. So here it is, the cup. Now, when Matthew was telling the story, Peter, when they came to the place and they arrested him, Peter tried to take the issue into his own hands and he cut off the ear of a Roman soldier. And now Jesus had already been through the prayer process and he had already set his will and volition in line with God. Now look here at John 18, excuse me, not Matthew, but John 18, verse 11. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Here's here's the imagery again about the cup. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now, I've done a lot of setup work here, and I hope you're hanging with me because, because God wants to show you something. Now, the cup Jesus had was the sin of the world, the sin of Aaron Allison, the sin that you have. Every rebellious attitude, every misspoken word, every bit of slander, every bit of lust, everything you've lied about, everything you've cheated about... Every sin you just accidentally had was in the cup. It was God's wrath. It was God's judgment. All there for Jesus. All to be poured out upon him. And Jesus drank the cup. He didn't want to at that time. His human side was saying, God, if there's any way possible, let this pass. But he said, but not my will but your will be done. Now, all of this is I want to to remind you that Jesus came as an example to us. He's an example to us of how we are to live. So now I want to bring this down to you. Because here's what I want to propose to you this morning. Just as Jesus had a cup, and we know exactly what that cup was, it was our sin, the sin of the world. But Jesus also, God has given each of us a cup. And I wonder what your cup is. See, there's something in your life that you wish you didn't have to endure. There's something in your life you wish you didn't have to bear. There's a challenge ahead of you you don't want to go through, but you know it's God's will. There's a commitment you've made that's really, really tough right now. And there's part of you, if you're really honest, that's saying, 
God, will you take this cup? God, I can't bear it anymore. God, I can't stand it anymore. God, the thought of drinking this cup, I just can't do it. And that's a very honest human emotion. And you serve a God who loves you so much that he became like you and I. And there in that garden, he felt the conflict. He felt the anguish. He felt, he felt all of the ambiguity that happens when we don't know for certain if we can do it. And yet, being fully in control, he said, not my will, but your will be done. What is that cup for you? It could be a lot of different things. Maybe that cup for you is a tough job you're in. That you'd quit it if you could, but you need a paycheck next month. You feel stuck in a career and you feel like your work is meaningless. And you're praying to God. You're saying, God, would you give me a new job? Would you give me a new opportunity? But he hasn't released that yet. He hasn't told you you need to quit your job. And so you're just, you're just right there and you're saying, not my will, but your will be done. Part of you saying, take this cup, Lord. And God's saying, not yet, not yet, not time. You keep drinking that cup. He's saying, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe the fact that you're in a tough marriage and that you find out, you find, you find out things about, you found out things about your spouse that you didn't know and more likely you found out things about yourself that you didn't know and you wish you could just check out. You wish you could just, Lord, take the cup. Not my will, but your will be done. Maybe you have a difficult child. Child is just a tough child to raise. They have certain problems. They have certain challenges. But they're yours. They've been given to you by God. And there's part of you, if you're really honest, I would say you're in, in, when you're by yourself, because that's, when, that's where Jesus was. You know, it's in solitude that we become really honest with ourselves. When the crowd's away, and maybe our spouse is away, and we're by ourselves, and it's just us and God. We're like, God, would you take this cup? Not my will. Your will be done. All of us have a cup. Maybe it's a physical disability. See, I, I thank God for his healing power. God is more powerful than any disease, and we believe in divine healing at this church. But we also believe there's a sovereign God, and that though outwardly we're wasting away inwardly, we're being renewed every day. And the only time we're all going to be completely healed is when we're at a place where there's no sickness or disease, and that's in heaven. And so in the meantime, we say, God, take this cup. And he may do it this morning. And we'll anoint you with oil. And we'll keep pray, praying the prayer of faith. But in his sovereign will, he delays that. Say, not my will, but your will be done. I know I mentioned difficult children, but there's a whole other category. What about, I think about handicapped children. And I think some of the greatest heroes of this world are parents who have loved and cared for handicapped children. God's grace is upon those and they are the heroes of our society. And I can't just I can't begin to try to relate to that from this stance here. All I can say is that if that's you or if you know someone in your life, I admire you because that, that can be a tough cup to take. But yet, if it's a cup God's chosen for you, it's a beautiful cup. And, and I know this is I'm glad we live in a world where 
We should live in a world. Let's, let, let me backtrack. We should live in a world where every single person is valued. And those who are mentally and physically handicapped should be valued as much as the most healthy and the most beautiful. And if we become a culture that does not accept those who are physically and mentally ill, then we will be much, much poor because of it. Because those who are mentally and physically handicapped have something to share and they have something to give. And God has a plan for their life. And you and I can grow from knowing them. So I reject the humanistic mindset that says let's eliminate. Let's eliminate life. Let's eliminate those things which aren't perfect. Because I know this, I'm not perfect. And God hasn't eliminated me. And you're not perfect. But it's a tough cup for some people. It's a tough cup. It's a tough cup to drink. I want us to learn from Jesus today. And the first cup, I want you to write this down in your bulletin, is when he drank that cup in the garden, the first thing I believe it represents is a cup of humility. A cup of humility. Now, uh, humility is really important. A couple of weeks ago, I went to my 242 group and Sunday night, Monday's my Sabbath, so Sunday night's like my Saturday night, and it's where I just mentally relax and just chill out. And the problem with that is we have small groups on Sunday night. So uh, when me and Beth hosted a small group at our house for two years, she was constantly apologizing to the people. They're like, she's like, please excuse Aaron. He's usually not this goofy, uh, but this is just a Sunday night. You need to understand. So, and I have a rule on Sunday night that says anything I say on Sunday night cannot be quoted it cannot be held against me. So that's just how it works. So now I'm going over to the Shaw's house uh, for in the Holland and 242 group and, and just having a great time. And on this particular Sunday night, we're on our way over there. And I told Beth, I said, okay, tonight I'm just going to play good. I'm just going to totally be myself. I'm just going to relax. I'm not going to try to be the center of attention and try to try to tease people and try to make little remarks and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just sitting. I have my little plate of finger food and I'm holding a styrofoam cup and, and I'm just, you know, really calm and relaxed. And, and to this day, I don't really know what happened besides the fact that I had the styrofoam cup in my hand and then it was just suspended in air. It was I don't know how it happened. It was this if I just decided to toss it up like a ball. I, I, to this day, I don't know exactly what the case was. So as it's suspended in air, I grab it. I, try to, I decide to grab it with my other hand. And what happened after that, I could not ever repeat to you if I tried a thousand times. Because my thumb went through the bottom of the styrofoam cup. And so as the thumb went through the bottom, it was like a complete meltdown of the styrofoam cup. Soda just went everywhere. I mean, and not just a little nice little drop. I mean, it went all over this beautiful coffee table, all over my pants, all over the couch. I stood up and it was absolutely humiliating. I mean, it really was. In fact, the, the, Gina Shaw had to come put towels on my couch there. And uh, it, it was horrible. I had all down my pants and I was just, just humiliated. I was embarrassed about it. I mean, it was it was just crazy. Well, I was reading a book that week by Mark Batterson uh, called Soul Print. And and this was just really timely for me because he said said this way. He said, no one likes to be embarrassed. In fact, we do everything within our power to avoid embarrassment at all costs. But we need to be embarrassed. Listen to this. We need to be embarrassed for the same reason we need to fail. 
it keeps us humble. And humility is the key to fulfilling our destiny. You know, the word humor and the word humiliation come from the same root. Uh, God tends to humble me quite a bit with, uh, with food and drink on my shirt. That's just the way God has humbled me and maybe the lack of coordination I've been gifted with. Uh, that, that's a really easy way for us to embrace humility in a fun story like that. But Jesus took the ultimate humility. In Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5, he says it this way. You can read it with me on the screen. He said, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God... Now, that's very poetic, but think about that for a second. Who being in very nature God, in other words, Jesus was God, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, the whole deal, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humbled himself, became obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. When Jesus said, take this cup from me, Lord. Take this cup from me. He, he had to humble himself. It was a cup of humility, but it was also this right down. The second one, it was a cup of sacrifice. A cup of sacrifice. See, verse 8. Back to Philippians 5.8. Look again at what it said there. It said, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a, on a cross. It was a cup of humility and it was a cup of sacrifice. And here's the last thing that I want you to write down, the cup of suffering. The cup of suffering. Can I tell you, one of the biggest lies in the American church is that suffering is, suffering is a bad thing or suffering means you're a bad person. That's a lie in the Western church. Suffering can be an honor. Suffering can be something that, when you do it for Jesus, is a good thing. I'm not talking about seeking out negative things in kind of a self-punishment way. But I'm talking about being willing to take the cup that God has given you. And even though it might not be the cup you prefer... And it might not be the cup you've chosen. And it might not be the cup that you think is best for you. Realizing that I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to sacrifice whatever I have to do. And I'm even going to suffer for Jesus. Because it's my honor to do so. You know the Chinese church is growing. In such a way that. We cannot even calculate. How many Christians there are in China right now. But because of the oppressive. Atheistic communist country. That. Only churches can assemble if they're approved by the government. And typically they don't like churches over 50 to assemble because they don't want a political uprising to start. So there's countless house churches that are just multiplying and the gospel is being spread. It's just an incredible thing. But as word from the underground church has come out, one of the things our brothers and sisters in China have said, they said, when you pray for us, don't pray that we don't suffer. Because it's an honor to suffer for Jesus. You see, the scripture says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 
to suffer for Him. Now that means that there are going to be times that you're going to feel embarrassed to be a Christian. And there are going to be times where it's going to cost you money to not cheat or cost you money to make the godly decision. And there's going to be times when you're going to feel like an outcast. It's an honor to suffer for Jesus. Do you understand that? It's an honor to suffer for Him. Because in light of what He did for us, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? You see, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul influenced Christianity more than any man. Jesus was fully man and fully God. And beside Him, Paul, Peter, he's a giant of the faith. He saw incredible things in the heavens. He saw incredible miracles and healings. But we discover in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he has what's known and what he called a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He said, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. We don't know what that thorn is. Could have been a person. Could have been a physical disability. Some people thought it was maybe his eye, a grotesque eye that he couldn't see well and he wasn't very appealing physically. We don't know what it is. He kept me from being conceited. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and here's the part, the redemption part I want you to get. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I tell you, you cannot cut this part of the Bible out of your Bible. You cannot ignore this part of the Bible. There is a victorious, overcoming, spirit-filled, powerful statement by the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That brings me back to the cup. I want you to think about your cup. What cup has God given you? What has He given you that's difficult? Because can I tell you, in the Old Testament, the cup was a cup of wrath. A cup of suffering. But Jesus drank the cup of wrath. He drank the cup of suffering. And now when He gives you His cup, not only is there humility, not only is there sacrifice, not only is there suffering, but there is joy. There is joy. That's what Jesus does. If you say, not my will, but your will be done. Not my plan, but your plan. Not my way, but your way, O Lord. There's a joy and following Jesus that can I promise you if you take that cup he's going to resurrect every good thing in your life that resurrection day is coming resurrection day is coming and don't check out you see any of us could just check out and say I'm done I'm done I'm done with the cup here's a, the three things that you can write down quickly I know we're at the end is Jesus knew the cost that's the first point he knew the cost because I, he knew the price he knew the price he knew what the cup was here's the next thing he knew the options he knew the options. You know, he even said himself in Matthew 26, Do you not think I could call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He could have called it off at any time. I want to tell you something. That the cup God's given you, you can check out. You can check out emotionally. You can abandon it. You can walk away. You can change your attitude or actions or heart. You can check out. 
You can do that. But then here's the, the last thing I want you to write down. The last little blank is he knew that there was only one choice. The only choice. The only choice. He says in Matthew 26, 54. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Can we stand together? Can we stand together? We thank you, Lord. The Lord's going to minister to us in these last few minutes we have together. I want to invite our prayer team to join me at the front. We want to pray with you today. Today's a day for us to respond in worship. It's to respond in worship to the Lord. The table of the Lord is open. And what I want us to do is Jonathan leads us in worship. As he leads us in worship, I want you to respond to the Lord. I want you to respond to the Lord. If you want one of us to pray with you, we're here to pray with you. If you want, there's communion available at the back and at the front. You can take that if you choose as an individual or you can take that as a family member. But let's all focus on Jesus and say, Jesus, I will drink the cup you've given me because you set the example. You could have checked out, but you knew there was only choice. There's only one choice for you. Let's turn to the Lord now. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.